So Rob's going to read to us now. Um, first one you're going to find is uh, one John. That's the what page it's on. Uh, it's saying it's on one thousand two hundred and twenty-seven. Starting at verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. That's page 1227 in the Bibles that are around where you're sitting. This is the message you heard from the beginning. You should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life, because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the, in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And the second reading is uh, from John chapter 13, Gospel of John. And that's on page uh, 1082. John chapter 13, starting at verse 33. John chapter 13. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is a word of them. Let's pray together, shall we? As King David prayed, 
Show us your ways, Lord. Teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. For you are God our Saviour. And our hope is in you all day long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Let me just begin before starting by reminding you of three important events that are coming up over the, over the next month in the, in the life of the church. You know these dates already, but I'll just remind you about them. Firstly, to remind you that two weeks on Tuesday is, is our normal monthly prayer meeting. Now, I want to encourage you, as many as possible, for you to come along to that. Maybe just schedule it in now, get your phones out, and put it in. Tuesday the 28th of September between 8 and 9 to be here. Here's why I want you to be here. Because we're going to be praying that evening for two very important things. We're going to be praying about three key staff appointments that we'll be making over the next two months. And I'll let you know more details about them next week. But also we're going to be praying about one of the three key priorities. If you remember, many of you were gathered at the annual meeting... And one of the things we agreed as a church that we, that we wanted to do was that we wanted to look at reordering this building. That means basically making it fit for purpose in the 21st century, whatever that looks like. And so that's what we're going to pray for on that, that evening. So I, want, I know that those are important things for all of you. Virtually all of you will be affected in it in some way, if not on both of those things, or your children will be, or your youth will be, they'll all be affected. So please do come along on, on that evening. Secondly, to remind you that three weeks today is our gift day and our harvest services. And that's just a reminder for us to remember that we know what our gift day is for. It's for specific projects that we've identified in the budget, one of which is this reordering. So just to remind you about that, and you'll get a letter about that next week. But also, who said traditions are dead, eh? Because we're going to reintroduce something that perhaps has slipped off the calendar a bit, which is about we're going to encourage everyone, not just children, each one of us to bring something in terms of a foodstuff that day. We don't want you to bring apples, we don't want you to bring pears, we don't want you to bring vegetables, we want you to bring non-perishable stuff. And we want you to bring as much as you can. So it's not like, don't just bring one tin. Because most of the time you can get by one, get one free, can't you? So bring them both, basically, and, and so on from there. And then to remind you thirdly, about just for a month from now, that's Wednesday the 12th of October, to remind you of our confirmation service. So like, it's an island-wide one, but it's going to be held here. So a number of our children, a number of our youth are getting confirmed, as well as some adults. Bishop Trevor will be with us as well. And can I just remind you and encourage you about something, that maybe you've come from a different tradition. And I'm just going to say this gently to you, basically. But if you take communion regularly in this church, and you haven't being confirmed then it's not really the way the Church of England works and obviously at the end of the day I don't know who's been confirmed or hasn't been confirmed it's a decision that you make between you and God 
And you have to decide what is the right thing to do if you're a member of this church. So I'll leave that with you, but remind you to come along anywhere on the 12th of October. There won't be home groups that week because we're really making a focus of where we can celebrate with some of the adults who want to be confirmed. Some who've decided that they're not going to take communion here until they are confirmed. Others who've said to me, actually, I haven't been confirmed because I grew up in a Baptist tradition. But this is my church, it's been a church for my church for a number of years now, so I want to get confirmed. And obviously a number of our children and our youth are getting confirmed as well on that day. Now then, let's move on. Another of the three key priorities, if you remember, that we identified at the annual meeting was this. That we wanted to explore together how we could excel in being a loving community. Not just on, a, on if you like, a Sunday morning, but all through the week when the busyness of everything else comes in. And how do we do that? How do we explore, from looking at the Bible, what the New Testament teaches us about how we excel in being a loving community all the way through the week? And one way that we can look at it, and perhaps I think the best way that we can look at it, is to work out and to understand that practicing biblical community comes down to living our lives according to a set of statements that are known in the New Testament as the one another statements. And throughout the New Testament, we see and we read these one another statements, some of which we read this morning, whether it be through the words that Jesus said to his disciples in the Gospel, whether it be the letters of Paul, whether it be the writings of the other New Testament writers like, like Peter and John, we find over and over again these statements, many of them commands, where it says something and then one another. And there are about 70 of them in the New Testament. And these statements, by living them out, teach us what it means to practice biblical community together. So that's what we're going to be looking at for most Sundays through to October half term. Because these statements became the baseline. They became the minimum, if you like, that the early church adopted for what it meant to be a loving community. And while I was off, one of the things after my accident that I found hard was that I couldn't necessarily concentrate on words. If I looked at words in a newspaper, if I looked at words in a book, I just couldn't concentrate for that long. And I came across this very helpful book at that time. It's a book called Visual Theology. If you just Google Visual Theology if you're interested more, if you're a visual learner, and you want to think, you know, I don't understand some of these concepts about God, but you're a visual learner. It puts a whole range of them into a book. And one of them that I came across was this image. It's the image that you've got on the front of the handout that I've given you for this Sunday morning and next Sunday morning. We'll show a picture of it as well on, on the screen so you can see it in colour. But I want to ask you a question just as you look at it. You know, what strikes you? What strikes you, as you look at your handout, at the image of all these one another statements that you see before you? You see, this is what struck me in my kind of half-head-functioning world at the time that it was, and what it meant to be a biblical community. You see, you get lots of these small circles, 
If you like, there's, there's one biblical reference to it in certain ways. Sometimes they mean the same things, like accept one another, or have equal concern for one another. And there's lots of them. Then you see a slightly bigger circle, and there's maybe about five of them, of where there's two references, where it says, have compassion for one another, live in peace with one another. Then you look and you see one bigger circle, be humble with one another. Then there's a slightly bigger circle where there's four references where it says greet one another. Then there's a slightly bigger circle which says encourage one another. And then you see this huge circle. It's so big that it can't fit on the page in comparison to the size of the rest of it. There's 15 references there of what it means to love one another. It's no accident, therefore, in Paul's introduction to the most famous chapter of what it means to be church. He begins with these words. And now I will show you the most excellent way. And then he says, If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains and do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess over to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but if I do not have love, I gain nothing. And it goes on, as we know, not to describe the love between a man and a woman, that so many think it does today. But it goes on to describe the love that should exist between any members of a church. You know, as you've heard me say before, love is the best way to be church. It almost should be the number one value that as a community we aspire to. Because love is the lifeblood of what it means to be church. You know, if, if you're a historian, And if you go back and you look at what the ancient historians wrote about the church and you read writers like Tertullian, or if you read today modern day sociologists from the 21st century like, for instance, guys like Rodney Stark, what they will tell you is that the reason why the church grew exponentially was because of love. Quite literally, when when the Romans cut Christians in two, it wasn't blood that flowed out. It was love that flowed out. And as we started to look at two weeks ago, love was the yoke of Jesus. Remember two weeks ago, when, when we were here, if you were here, if you remember, I said that every teacher, every rabbi, had what was called in those days a yoke. It was their interpretation, their understanding of what the scriptures meant. And if you were a follower, if you were a disciple of that particular rabbi or teacher, you believed in their yoke, so much so that you lived your life according to their, to their yoke. And what you were basically saying by living your life in that way is you were saying that their interpretation of the scriptures their understanding of the Bible was the closest that it could possibly be to what God intended. And what was Jesus' yoke? It was 
the response that he gave when he was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. In other words, love God with all your being and love your neighbour as yourself when your neighbour even includes your enemy. Why did Jesus choose this yoke? Because God is love. You see, the secret to understanding love in the Bible is to watch God because that is who God is. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, just as he was leaving them, one of the most important words he said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It was and still is the, the Jesus creed. And this is so important for us to grasp. Because what the psychologists out there will tell you is that our most basic human need is to be loved. Everyone wants to be loved. Whoever we are, it makes us tick. And this is why we need to know God is love. Because you won't need to go too far out of this building today, whether it be a conversation that you have with someone else, or some sort of social media post, or some sort of thing that you're hearing the telly, or you'll read in the newspaper, that will tell you that God is not loving. Because the world out there, the media out there, knows that we need to be loved. And so it tells us that God is not loving because their agenda out there is to say, follow a substitute God. Follow a counterfeit God instead. This is someone who you can love instead. And so as we look at these passages of what it means to love one another... We start from the understanding that it is God who is love. And so, as we look at these 15 one another statements, if we just turn over for a moment, just to wake you up, we're going to read these statements together. And as we read them, let's just allow the Holy Spirit to speak these truths into our lives. We'll check who can read, shall we? Don't you ever find that if you read in public or when you read with one another, your voice changes? Have you noticed that, or is it only me? Because I've suddenly realised, I did this at 8 o'clock and I suddenly realised, when I read with other people, my voice changes. Scary thought there. Here we go, let's see if I'll try not to do it this time. You kind of put on a posh voice. Here we go. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. This is my command. Love each other. Let no death remain outstanding except the continuing death to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. 
For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. For we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. You know, as we begin to understand, as we begin to apply these statements to our life as a church, it begins from that essence that God is love. That is our definition of what love is. We don't go to a dictionary for our definition of love because love is not a, necessarily a deep affection for someone. Love in the Bible is all about looking at God because God is love. And so we'll explore now four, if you like, of the five central ideas about love according to God. You know, if we were to get into a helicopter and if we were to go and fly over Israel and we're going to start this helicopter journey on our first stop is Hebron. Hebron is in the West Bank, we know, in southern Israel. It's a city now, but then it was a village many, many thousands of years ago. And there is a man called Abraham. You see, the first thing that God does to show love in the Bible is to form a covenant. A covenant is and was a rugged commitment. It's a rugged commitment because there are good days and there are bad days. The Bible story is not all good. And God makes this covenant, first of all, with Abraham in a very strange way. If you want to read it afterwards or if you're taking notes, just, just write down Genesis 15. Because Abraham is looking for some reassurance from God. And, what God do, and so God tells him to go and, if you like, chop up some animals. And so he chops up some animals about to make a sacrifice. And then God puts him in a deep sleep. And while he's in this sleep, God comes and meets him, we're told, as a smoking pot, this smoking fire pot. And he says to him that no matter what happens, I am on your side. It's the start of, if you like, God's covenant of love that runs right the way throughout the Bible. You can read about it in Genesis 15. It's that covenant that is renewed to Moses, if we know our Old Testament history on Mount Sinai, when he gives him the Ten Commandments in Exodus 19 to 24. It's the same covenant that is then renewed to King David, the great Davidic kingship that ran for centuries. It's that same covenant that's renewed. And of course, if you know your Old Testament history a bit more, it's the same covenant that was prophesied by people like Jeremiah of a new covenant coming. Not a second covenant, it's still the same covenant. The people of Israel are still God's special people. And it's this covenant 
that Jesus said had occurred in his coming in Mark 14. It's this same covenant that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11. If you, read, if you remember so much when we have a communion service, it's based around the covenant. God's covenant of love. This rugged commitment. Because there are going to be good days and bad days together. But God says each time, like he talks about in the, through the prophet Hosea. Remember the prophet Hosea? This holy man of God and God tells him to go and marry a prostitute. And their relationship is a reenactment, if you like, of the whole story of the, the people of Israel's relationship with God. And God says that through Hosea that he will woo you still in the wilderness and sing the songs of your youth again. This rugged commitment that we see all the way throughout the Bible of God's love towards us. And then if we get back up in the helicopter again, and this time we're going to fly a bit further north. And this time we're going to land in Bethlehem. And we're going to land by a manger, by an inn. Because love is a rugged commitment to be with. It's the principle of presence. All through the Bible, God has promised to be with Israel. Whether it be as some sort of smoking fire pot, whether it be through the pillar of cloud through the day in the Exodus journeys or the pillar of fire through night, whether it be in the temple when God said that he would let his glory shine out in this place, you always see this image of love being about with and presence. And of course, what's one of the first names that Jesus is given that we hear in the Christmas story so often? It's the word Emmanuel, isn't it? Meaning God with us. What's virtually the last words that Jesus says to the disciples? He says, I will be with you always. And what does he do to say to them, to remind them that he will be with them always? He will send the Holy Spirit to be with us. Love is about a rugged commitment through good and bad to be with. And then if we were to get in that helicopter again, and this time we're only going to make a, a short journey. A short journey, you can, you can walk it in about not much more than an hour and a half. And we're going to go to an upper room in Jerusalem. Because love is a rugged commitment to be for. It's the principle of advocacy. Because the covenant formula that runs all throughout the Bible, just remember these words and you remember the covenant. It's this, I will be your God and you will be my people. It's as simple as that. I will be your God and you will be my people. You see, Jesus is for his disciples. He sends the Holy Spirit as their advocate. What is Jesus doing now? The only reference that we get in the Bible to what Jesus is doing now is that he is praying for us. But here's the thing. Forness is only communicated by witness in the Bible. If you're never willing to be with someone, they'll never know that you're for them. You know, this has implications for us on our time. In this world where our time gets so many squeezed by so many priorities, 
And often, if you go and look at charitable works out there, it's all about fullness. It's all about doing something for someone, and then that's it, I've ticked the box. Whereas in the Bible, love is about witness first. It's about presence first, rather than being for someone. And then, love is a rugged commitment to be with, to be for, unto Christ-likeness. Because that's who God is. God is holy. And God's presence in our lives is transformative, isn't it? If we know that we're feeling really close to God, if we're following those practices that help us keep close to God, then our lives start to change. We still look up and we still make a mess of things at times, but our lives start to change. We become more like Christ that all of us are on this journey too. And what we see as we look through those 15 statements of loving one another, we see each of those principles of what it means to love. We see this rugged commitment, don't we? That the initiative is always God's. How many times does it say in those references, as I have loved you, since God so loved us. For love comes from God. It's all about, if you like, our vertical relationship with God. And knowing his love and what we've received from him. Impacting upon our horizontal relationships with one another. How many times as we look at those references is this rugged commitment of love to be with. Because with is about presence, isn't it? We aren't a project to God, are we? And our love for others should not be about a project. Because a project is all about agendas, isn't it? That's why often the biggest fear out there, if you say you're a Christian to a non-Christian, is that they say, oh, well, I don't want to know because they think you're only interested in converting them. That they're only a project. Whereas love is about presence first. After all, the incarnation of God becoming man is the great story of God coming to be with us. And then the rugged commitment of love to be for that flows out from that. How many times say, love one another deeply, be sympathetic, be compassionate, be humble. And the rugged commitment of love to be with people and for people unto Christ-likeness. How often, when we look at these verses, we, you could just take a highlight of this. That's what I did, and it says over and over again, my command is this. A new command is, it is. It either says explicitly or it's implicitly said. Because when we love one another, it leads us to becoming more like Christ. So let's land the helicopter. You see, at the northern edge of the Peak District, there's a village called E. It's kind of in North Derbyshire. It's this quiet hamlet that's famous for the actions of the village church community there in the mid-17th century. Because what happened was that following the Great Plague in London, the Great Plague through materials, through cotton I think it was, spread 
to this village in North Derbyshire called Ean. And the church knew what the consequences would be of what their actions were about to take. Because they led, through their example, to the rest of the villagers. They said that they would prevent this deadly disease from spreading by sealing off the village from the surrounding areas. And if you walk around the village of Ian today, nearly 400 years later, you still cannot fail to notice the significance of, of their actions. Because it's just full of memories. There's a museum there, but you just walk past house after house after house, and you see these little signs on the wall that tell you who died, who survived, and so on. And you see, their example as a church is a fitting reminder of what love is, that love is this rugged commitment through good and through bad. Love is this rugged commitment to be with each other. And then love is this rugged commitment to be for each other. And this rugged commitment unto Christ-likeness, whatever the cost. Because if we finish the helicopter ride on a hill outside of Jerusalem, they'd seen the ultimate demonstration of love there. And they knew that if they wanted to be like Christ, that might ultimately mean that they would have to follow the example of Jesus, who first showed each one of us what it means to love, doesn't it? By dying on the cross for us. Let us pray. God, um, just as we pray now, I've just been reminded of the words of that song from Bethel and Jesus' culture, which goes, your love never fails. And maybe for, for some of us this morning, maybe we just need to be reminded that your love never fails. And for each of us too, Lord, help us to never forget how much you love us. Help us to never forget how vast your love is for us. That there's nothing we can do to earn it. That whatever we do, you won't love us any more, and you won't love us any less. Because you are love. And so, help us over these next weeks to begin to apply even more to our lives what it means to love one another. That our family and our friends then would see in each one of us that something has changed.
because it was by the disciples' love for one another that showed the world what it meant to love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.